Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I'm your host, Simon. What happens here is today, Kevin has written me a script. The mysterious, most mysterious song on the internet. If you're new here, what happens? I've never seen this before. This is brand new to me. Uh, maybe it's brand new to you as well. I mean, the script's definitely brand new to you. Maybe the topic isn't. But whatever, we're gonna read it, we're gonna explore it together. It's gonna be fun. It's a podcast. It's also available on YouTube. Also, thank you to Jen, who edits these videos and adds in the, uh, the images if you watch, the music if you listen. Well, the music and the images if you listen, because, uh, if you watch, because that's how it works. Anyway, the most mysterious song on the internet. Let's get into it. There's something special about physical media. While I do prefer the ease, accessibility, and convenience of digital media, there's a whole experience that younger generations missed out on. This isn't about that whole argument people have about whether they say record sounds better, because that's nonsense. Yes, it is. People are like, oh, the records sound better. It's like, no. I mean, and people are like, well, it's analog, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, no, <laughs> it's not how it works. I don't know how it works, but I watched a video once explaining it, and I was convinced. And I'm like, that's enough for me. Like, same thing about lots of science. Like, I don't understand how black holes work. I don't understand how a lot of science doesn't work. But like, if the smart people are convinced, I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool. Because everyone else, you know, it's like, yeah, but black holes are real. So, like, well, you just seem like an idiot. You know, it's you don't have to fully understand everything to be able to believe in something right that makes sense what am i talking about let's get back to it digital media is scientifically superior a fact not an opinion that was drilled into us from day one when i was a music engineering student see that's what i'm talking about kevin is a music engineering student or was he's uh, so therefore smarter than i am when it comes to music and engineering and generally uh, so I'm like, okay, cool. How about we listen to the music engineering student when he says that records are scientifically less superior, also known as inferior, to digital music. Not all digital music, of course, just some. No, this is about mixtapes and other self-created compilations. Before streaming gave me the ability to listen to literally any song in the world at a moment in time for free, I would have to stand on high alert with the radio on in the background, waiting for that moment when a new song I liked would come on the radio so I could quickly hit the record button on my stereo. With file sharing services and MP3s, this became a lot easier, but before iPods, we still had to burn our own compilation CDs for portable music. Yeah, I burned so many uh, compilation CDs. Like, whenever I'd go on a road trip with friends, you know, there were obviously no ports for iPods or iPhones or what anything in cars before there was... Oh, I remember I had this one thing. It was like a tape because my car had a tape player and you would put the tape player, the, this tape, into the tape player, uh, like a cassette. I don't know if people are familiar with these. People younger than me. Like, I was definitely... My car was, you know, older than me. No, I mean, it wasn't older than me, but it was not a new car when I was learning to drive. So, it, But not important. I'm just saying, yo, cassettes were a thing. And it was this cassette thing that you'd insert into it. This wire would come off and it had a 3.5 millimeter jack that you could plug into your iPhone. I mean, not iPhone, like MP3 player, whatever you had back in the day, which was amazing. 
Ironically, being tangible is what gives these items the intangible quality that a Spotify playlist lacks. Perhaps it's the performance of it. You could rediscover a lost tape or CD from a decade prior and rediscover forgotten songs all over again. I recently discovered a bunch of burned CDs from when I was back in college. Uh, also, I mean, yes, what I've found is I've had Spotify for so long. Because, I mean, at least maybe 10 years? So I can like every song I like, you know, you just click that little heart button. I'll scroll back to the beginning, like back in the day of like Spotify hearting. And I'll be like, oh my God, it's like the past. So and sometimes I'll shuffle that playlist. And somehow I got all of John Mayer's music in there, which I just never remove. So I'll play it. And I don't even like John. John Mayer's fine. John Mayer's fine. He's just very okay. And I'll be listening, and I'll be like, oh my god, it's another John Mayer song, I don't know. Because somehow I accidentally clicked heart on all of John Mayer's music. And there's just a giant list of it in there. So when I shuffle it, like, every other song will be a John Mayer song. It's like, what the f***? I don't even like this! Sorry, we're all over the place today. Uh, so Kevin's redis- he'd rediscover CDs he burned when he was back in college. Oh my, I just threw all that stuff. I don't have any of that stuff. I just, th- I'm savage at this. I just throw away. They were made by a friend for me as payment for tutoring in computer programming. My school had upgraded their firewall to stop us from using file sharing programs, but I needed to see new episodes of Full Metal Alchemist as they were airing in Japan, damn it. What I had forgotten was the way that he'd labeled the discs, which I will absolutely not be writing here, and which I really, really wish he hadn't. Still, at least I knew what they were. Oh my god. Because <laughs> he, like, labeled the discs being like... Well, you know, you can imagine just mislabeled CDs. Few people were great about labeling their tapes and CDs in any sort of accurate or meaningful way. And it was fascinating to find something without knowing what was on it. When my grandmother passed away a few years ago, we had to clean out her house and sell it. There were a few rolls of unused insulation in the attic, which the new owners had requested we leave for them. This was less work for me, so I was a big fan of their proposal. A few weeks later, the new family moved in. We got a call from the realtor. The family had found a reel of 16mm film in the attic between the rolls of insulation. And so a quick thing about my grandfather. He was a mechanical and electrical engineer who helped design and build the heat shields for Apollo 11. Holy What a legend! Because of this, when I retrieved the film from the realtor and read the label on the tin, we weren't surprised as you might expect when it reads the when it read the words Avco Missile Systems Division, print number two. Not surprised, but still curious as hell. Was it a secret government film that will get me killed for even mentioning it? A home movie of the debaucherous corporate after party from when we finally landed on the moon? The first known recording of the turbo incabulator gag. I don't know that. Sadly, we haven't been able to find this project, find a projector for it, and are really hesitant to mail it off to be digitized. But once whatever is on there has been seen, it will no longer be a mystery. Such is not the case for one mixtape out of Germany. So let's go back to everyone's favorite birthplace for internet mysteries. Not Germany, but the Usenet post. Ah, good old Usenet. I don't really know anything about Usenet. I feel like I was, I mean, I wasn't on the internet in the early, early days, like the 80s or some like that. But like late 90s rolled around. I was fully, mid 90s rolled around. I was on the internet. No, late 90s rolled around. I was on the internet. But I don't know. I just never came across Usenet. I don't really know what it is. I mean, other than what I've learned through Kevin's scripts for me. In 2006, a woman named Lydia uploaded a clip from a song to a German music newsgroup on Usenet, a full name of which I've omitted, so Simon doesn't try and pronounce it in his vaguely racist German accent. Ha! Kevin says nothing racist about my German accent! <laughs> Just because when I think of it, that's <laughs> like whenever I think of German accent, it's like, why is he so angry? It's because oh, I just think of Hitler. 
and he was austrian i should think i should find a new famous german person to think of because then it would be less like uh, angry <laughs> who is the most famous german person then i can le learn something about them and have a less racist accent most famous german albert einstein yes good also von bismarck carl benz michael schumacher wow these are really there's a lot of faith ludwig van beethoven beethoven i'm like thinking about how the germans would say i don't know not know how to pronounce beethoven doesn't matter let's carry on what are we doing <laughs> oh my god we're never gonna finish this episode no one recognized the song, so naturally the first question was, where did you get this? Lydia had gotten the clip off of her brother, Darius, who had digitized his collection of cassette tapes containing songs he recorded off the radio as a teenager in the early 1980s. Some of the songs on the tape simply had question marks for the artist's name, the song name, or both. He had his own website, a birthday present from Lydia, that he used to spread awareness of his playlist of ident of his playlist to identify the unidentifiable songs. Considering Lydia ultimately took on the search herself, I'm guessing his website did not achieve its goal, or perhaps it had, and all the other unidentified songs in his tapes had already been identified, as there were numerous. But this part is honestly unclear. But it's also unimportant, as none of the other songs remain mysteries. Usenet did little to help, so she moved on to a number of websites to try and find answers, but still with no luck. Oh my god, Lydia. I mean, this is cool, and it's an interesting quest to go on, but do you not have a job or something? Because <laughs> I'll be like, I find a tape, there's a mysterious song, I'll be like, okay i'm sure someone knows the answer to this you know he's not gonna find it this guy <laughs> but with no luck the trail went completely cold and nothing about this song was ever spoken of again i believe at that point lydia maybe got a job okay well obviously that last part's a lie especially because simon has at least briefly mentioned it on top i knew this was sounding familiar i didn't want to spoil it and go on one of my random rambles about vaguely remembering this but i vaguely remember this there was some mysterious German song, and I believe there is a solution, so today we are truly decoding the unknown. Get excited for that. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I mentioned it briefly on Top Tens, but no one was going to hear anything about that song for at least a decade. Top Tens, for those of you who don't know, is another YouTube channel that I host. Lydia and Darius would continually would continue to passively try to find information with little luck, but as I said, Lydia had posted this song to several websites, including to a Canadian website called Spirit of Radio on March the 18th, 2007. While she had not uncovered any information on her own, little did Lydia know that all the posts she made had already changed everything. And by everything, I mean it got one person's attention. By that one, but that one person was going to obsessively fixate on the song like John Hickey Jr fixating on Jodie Foster. Isn't didn't John Hinckley Jr. is he an assassin? Did he murder someone? Why do I know this? Again, this is another thing. It's like so I made it I must it must have been like a vague mention in a video from three years ago. The most mysterious ones are the top tens ones, because every video there has ten entries. And I make like seven of those a week. So it's like seventy entries a week. And we'll just vaguely be like, Jodie Foster was stalked by John Hinckley Jr. And it will vaguely be like tickling around in the back of my, uh, knocking around in the back of my mind. But I don't remember anything about it. Just before we continue with today's podcast, I do want to say that it's brought to you by the big lie from Audible, John Hamm. Mad Men's John Hamm and a bunch of other stuff. John Hamm is good. Did I just see John Hamm play like a space commander? No, he was in the new Top Gun Maverick. Oh, he's so good. He's good at everything. Uh, 
I mean, acting-wise, I don't know much about him in real life. But he's, well, he's, he's excellent in The Big Lie, because that's acting. That's what John Hamm does. And he does it brilliantly. It's a riveting new Audible original. The story takes place in 1953 during the Cold War, when hysteria spread through the country over the fear of communism. Ham plays FBI Special Agent Jack Bergen, who will stop at nothing to shut down the production of a film being made in New Mexico by three members of the Hollywood blacklist. Is John Ham playing the bad guy? I guess in Mad Men he wasn't exactly the hero, was he? <laughs> but like, sorry, anti-hero, is that the right words? But this he sounds like he sounds like the villain. A remote mining town becomes a powder keg of racial and political tensions during the production of the film, with the FBI lighting the fuse. The Big Lie is an explosive tale of conspiracy, betrayal, and temptation. This cinematic audible original is presented in seven episodes with a lush, period-specific score by renowned musician David Mansfield and features top-notch performances from a stellar cast. That cast includes Kate Mara, Anna de la Riguero, Bradley Whitford, John Slattery, Giancarlo Esposito, and David Stratton. The Big Lie is created by John Manakowitz. Visit audible.com forward slash the big lie, listen to Audible, thank you for sponsoring Audible, and uh, yeah, back to our podcast. Then, for a long time, nothing happened. Sometimes it sounds like this new guy got a job as well. Sometimes progress takes time. Since we have a little bit of a 12-year lull before anything happens with this story, let's talk about what made the song so mysterious in the first place. Obviously, there's the fact that no one knew who the band was or what the song was called. That's a given. But there's more than that. The track listing for the cassette that Darius had typed back in the 1980s had the artist listed as a question mark, but the song titled as Blind the Wind. That would seem like a lead, but it was actually more of a question. The quality of the recording was not very good, so the lyrics were impossible to decipher with absolute certainty. It sounded like the lyrics being sung at the opening of the song were like the winds, not blind, and and all anyone could do was guess the other lyrics. One of the things that made the lyrics hard to identify was that no one even knew for sure exactly what year the song was from. The strangest thing of all is that no one recognized the song at all, despite it being a pretty good song. Even if it was a small indie band, they had friends and family, and given the quality of the song, probably even had some legitimate fans. But some friends of mine in high school rented studio time to produce an album that they got played on a local rock station at like 2am on a Tuesday, and if a cassette of that broadcast suddenly surfaced, I would surfaced, I would absolutely recognize them. You would? You would? Would you, though? Like... I don't think a song that I heard for, wait so it would have been a band that I listened to it depends how much of a fan of a band of that band that I was but I wasn't a fan of like any tiny indie bands it'd be like okay there's small bands that I like but even these small bands they'll still fill a gig so no I, 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 I oh, look Kevin I'm not doubting you maybe you you could have been you probably were a bigger fan of these small bands than I was then, I guess. But years later? The search hadn't truly gone viral yet, but you know it's going to, and this is Decoding the Unknown, so you know it's still unsolved. Wait, that's not true. Decoding the Unknown, we sometimes have solved stuff. I thought this was solved. Oh, I'm sorry, I misled you. <laughs> My bad. But at least you kept watching. Unless the gimmick of the band was that they were completely unlikable orphans that absolutely did not want to be famous, the idea that none of them had a single relative, friend, or fan that have heard and identified the song is extraordinary. A Viral Sensation 
The first upload to YouTube of the clip, uh, the mysterious song, was in 2011, but it was largely ignored. In September of 2017, it would provide it would be uploaded again by Spanish record label Deadwax Records in the hopes of identifying it, but this too failed to garner massive public attention. I don't know whether I should listen to this song right now. I'm going to listen to the song, but I'm not going to uh, read the comments because that will spoil whatever is coming in the rest of today's episode. I just want to know if the song is good. I'm also not going to play it on this video because I'll probably get copyright claimed or something like that, even though we don't know who wrote it. I'll be right back. It's not bad. <laughs> I mean, the quality is terrible. It's very chanty. Like... Yeah. Um, I would hear that on the radio and I'll be like, when's the next song coming on? It's, it's fine. It's fine. It's not bad. It's not good. In September of 2017, it would be uploaded again by Spanish record label Deadwax Records in the hopes of identifying it, but this too failed to garner massive public attention. Gabriel de Silva Vieira claims to have begun his search for the song back in 2006, which could have been when Lydia first uploaded the song. It's unclear why he waited so long to push his attempts into high gear if he had been fixated on the mystery for so long. But in April 2019, Gabriel decided that enough was enough. He created an account on Reddit, and over the next four months, he would post the story uh, of the song 44 times across 25 different subreddits, as well as creating r slash the mysterious song. Gabriel was hell-bent on finding out the true origin of this song, and the hunt was finally starting to gain some attention, but it still needed that extra push to get going. While Gabriel was following some new leads, an Instagram user slid into the DMs of YouTuber Justin Wang, recommending the song as a topic for his Tales from the Internet series. Do I? Oh, I do know this channel. This pops up in my recommendeds. Also, do, do we have DMs on YouTube still? I don't think so. If we do, I've never checked them on any of my channels. <laughs> Wang's video is when this search really started going viral, with his video receiving hundreds of thousands of views in the first few months. You see, in the days leading up to Wang's video, some new information had come to light. A Reddit user with a throwaway account had found more old posts in German music forums that contained more information on the song and brought them to Gabriel's attention. The recording was believed to be from the radio show Music for Jung Luther, or music for young people. An interview had been found from one of the hosts who mentioned he would sometimes play tapes from underground eastern rock bands, some of which were mailed to him from over the Berlin Wall. Gabriel and others were sure they had found the DJ responsible for playing the song, British radio presenter Paul Baskerville. Gabriel messaged him on Facebook, but he received no reply. Wait, he's British? But I, he lives in Germany, I guess. Then Wang's video came out, and it included info about Paul Baskerville. Suddenly, he was getting a lot of Facebook messages, so he decided to respond to Gabriel. Unsurprisingly, Baskerville did not remember the song. If it was one of those underground cassettes, it's probably a song he played once 37 years prior. Do you really think he's going to remember that? And of course not. He also mentioned that a lot of bands back then sounded the same, something that's true in any era, but something that also makes it a lot harder to identify an unknown song with any level of certainty. The hand-typed list of songs that were played on the air from back then were long since destroyed, and not surprisingly, so it was going to be a rough go of it. Paul did have an idea, though, and it was so simple it might just work. He was going to play the song on the radio again and see if anyone called in recognizing it. Are we really not going to solve this? Really? On July the 21st, 2019, just 11 days after Wang's original video, Baskerville played the most mysterious song on his radio show, Nachtclub. No one identified it, and callers said that he may have never played the song at all. It was all a hoax. 
While all of this was going on, another Reddit user caught winds uh, of the investigation from a post in r slash Germany. He had been part of the original search back in 2007 and had something very special that the world hadn't heard yet. When Lydia originally posted the clip of the song, she didn't want to upload the entire song because she was afraid of violating copyright law. She wasn't afraid enough to look up the fact that she shouldn't be posting 80 seconds of a song either, but she was afraid enough not to do the whole thing. One of the members of the Usenet forum had managed to convince her to upload the entire song so he could download it, so he, she posted it briefly then deleted it after he had his copy now that he was aware of his of the search the user uploaded the full version of the song to the internet this was the copy that baskerville played on the radio yeah this is like one of those things also germany are mad serious about copyright <laughs> like they they like i can't remember any specific details but the, what i do know is they're super aggressive about it and german people are like i they're sort of like you don't you know you can't pirate anything because they'll send you letters and all of this stuff and i'm like oh that's pretty intense <laughs> but yeah that's all i remember so i guess like that's why like because i feel like i don't know i'd be like oh, well, we, i guess it is against the law but you're not like there's no intent there but does that matter i don't know not a lawyer due diligence the investigation was really ramping up. The original DJ was on board, or at least, very least, humoring the internet crazies. Finally, people had access to the entire song, and it was getting more and more attention. It seemed like it would only be a matter of time for someone to come forward, but they didn't. No one real, anyway. There were plenty of hoaxes and fakes, because of course there were, but no solid information. So when all else fails, when the combined efforts of the citizenry just isn't enough to solve a problem, who else can people count on in their need of time? That's right! It's everyone's favorite two words government bureaucracy. Oh, goddamn. Ah, uh, government bureaucracy. I'm like, I want to put a new fence around my house, and it's like, oh, you're gonna need to you're gonna need to file some paperwork for that. I'm like, it's my house. It's my wall. There's a fence there already. I just want to put a different fence. And they're like, mm gonna need to apply for that. It's gonna take at least six months, and then we might say no. And you have to have the ugly ass fence that's there. And I'm like, God. Government! <laughs> Perhaps Jima could save the day. The German name is extremely long, and I've already given Herr Wiesler a chance to use his German accent this episode. No, you didn't. You specifically took it away. So I'll just say the name translates to the Society for Musical Performing and Mechanical Reproduction Rights. In theory, every song played on the radio is supposed to be catalogued, tracked, and archived by this organization. It's possible that they really were too, but unfortunately the digital archive has been proven to be has proven to be incomplete, and so it did not yield any results. Wait, so every DJ on every radio station everywhere is logging this with like this government thing. I'm like <laughs> I feel like that's one of those things where it's like that just doesn't happen i mean it is germany and if if i think of countries like that do love bureaucracy i feel like the germ like well no the germans are more like efficient aren't they but i imagine they would have like things in place and checklists and stuff so if there was somewhere where, which would keep a list i think it would be germany but this is also ridiculous Similarly, another Reddit user was able to obtain a complete list of every song Baskerville played on music for young people from 1982 to 1984. The mysterious song was nowhere to be found on this list, which is believed to be complete. It took seven months to check that list, and now the records of three other shows that Darius listened to and recording songs from and recorded songs from are being checked. But that process began a year ago. 
and it still has to yield any results. So what do we know? There's a lot of mystery surrounding this song, so what do we actually know about it? We know that the synthesizer used in the song was a Yamaha DX7, which is actually a pretty big deal. The DX7 was released in 1983, so knowing both that fact and the other songs on the cassette, such as Cory Hart's Sunglasses at Night and Ray Parker Jr.'s Immortal Rock Anthem Ghostbusters, we can, these are old school songs. Is that that? I wear my son. That feels like much newer than 1983, but I could be imagining it. Wait, oh, I could be mm, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, 1980s. Old, old, old. We can determine the song was almost definitely produced in 1984. This tells us more than the year, though, because the DX7 is no joke. In 1983, it cost $2,000, which is about $5,600 today. In case you're out of touch with reality, that's f***ing expensive. Yeah, but it could have been a rental, or in a studio, or a friend, something like that. It doesn't necessarily mean the band were a big deal. This was not just some kids screwing around in a garage with instruments they bought at a thrift store. Or maybe it was. The synth is barely used in the song at all, despite being an extremely capable and versatile piece of equipment, and the sparse instances of it being used are simply presets. Anyone who has the money to purchase this machine themselves would reasonably have taken a little time to figure out how to actually use it before recording their demo tape. What this information actually points to is whoever the band were, they recorded this track at a studio that owned a DX7. That definitely narrows the search a bit. Yeah, especially that really indicates it, because they're just using presets. So... Yeah, they went to the studio, they saw they had a DX7, they were like, sweet, let's use that. Does anyone know how to use it? Nine? Well, let's, uh, let's just play this, press this preset button and it plays some tune, or whatever. We also know with absolute certainty that the song did play on the German station NDR, even if it wasn't on Baskerville's show. In December of 2020, a spectrogram analysis of the song shows a constant line at 10 kHz. Darius admittedly recorded songs from more than one radio station, so this discovery was important because every song recorded off NDR, and only those songs have this 10 kHz line. This is amazing. It's so cool. Uh, this line is present on other recordings from NDR, not just the ones from Darius, and a forum post from 2003, before the search even began, discusses this and the technical reasons behind it. The these details all seem minor, but with each new detail, the intersection in the middle of our Venn diagram keeps getting smaller and smaller. One of the most recent leads is a single from a 1984 German band called The Cave. I do personally see some similarities, but as Baskerville said, a lot of bands back then sounded the same. Still, people are taking the lead seriously, and they immediately contacted Volker Bublitz, the producer for the album. To start, if he was involved with a mysterious song, he has no memory of it. That's not a surprise, and it doesn't say much, because he had no memory of The Cave at first either. He eventually said he faintly remembered it as a weekend production by an independent band on a low budget. Again, this is almost 40 years later, and it sounds as if he did a lot of that type of production, so I'm not sure what level of detail people expect. Yeah, he'd never remember this. And honestly, even now he's saying like, I have vague memories of it. That's probably because people told him he did it, and he was like, oh yeah, I guess I did. Yeah, no, I remember that, because memory is terrible. One of the owners of a comic book store where I worked was in a band, and his band recorded their album at the same studio on the same day that Godsmack recorded their first demo. I'm willing to bet that the producers only remember one of those recording sessions. Who are Godsmack? I've never heard of them. Uh, important to the story, however, is that Volker said that his studio definitely owned DX7, and that if it produced the mysterious song, it may have even been him playing it. It would definitely explain the sparse nature of the synth part. 
The final major update came in November of 2021 when Lydia found another cassette with a mysterious song on it and uploaded it to YouTube. She said she thought about keeping it to herself because of how suspicious it would seem for one person to have two recordings of a song that no one else had ever heard of, but this tape was much higher quality so she felt it was worth releasing. Her reasoning for having it was that it was likely on a mixtape her brother had made for her, copied from his own cassettes, and copied from his own cassettes. It appears to be the exact same recording based on a very distinct lip smack at the end of the song when the DJ is about to begin talking again. So, does this make sense? Her tape was high quality because it sat in a box and was never listened to. This also makes sense, as my siblings frequently don't give a shit about things that excite me and vice versa. Still, this recording was much clearer to the people. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. To the point that people were able to finally start coming to a consensus on what the lyrics to the song actually are. Wrap up. The most mysterious song on the internet is most certainly that. There have been similar stories to this one, but many of them are solved and no search has been going on nearly this long. With all the hard facts being discovered and how active the community still is, it is likely that this mystery will be solved. My prediction is that we'll finally know the real story about this song sometime during the second half of 2023. That is extremely specific, and all the band members have successful white-collar jobs and don't really care about this. But what do you think? Will the song ever be identified? If so, will it reignite the musical careers of this band. It would be a heartwarming story if that happened, but I find the possibility more than a little unlikely. Yeah, it'll probably be solved by someone's dad who's like listening. Like, I don't know. They'll be listening to this podcast, they'll play it afterwards, and they'll be in the car, and their dad will be like, Holy sh, son. How did you. What? This is my song! And it'll be solved. Problem, you know? That's how it'll work. I mean, and if we haven't solved it in the next 30 years, then they'll all be dead. So, so that's it. If any of you watching this on YouTube or listening as a podcast are interested in joining in the effort to identify the song and be a part of history, you can head over to the Mysterious Songs subreddit and find the link on their Discord. Just make sure you're all caught up on Simon's shows first. You're goddamn right, Kevin. And if any of you watching or listening have a guess as to what I'll discover on the hidden 16mm reel found in my grandparents' attic, feel free to get in the comments and let me know. Bonus facts. While obviously not a punk rock anthem as previously stated in this script, Ghostbusters was more than the theme song to a comedy movie. It was a hugely successful hit in its own right. It's a great song. Two months after the film released in 1984, Ghostbusters climbed all the way to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts and stayed there for three weeks. Holy sh! That means that Ray Parker Jr. has more number one hits than Bob Marley, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, James Brown, Kiss, Led Zeppelin, The Who, Metallica, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Jimmy, no f***ing way, Jimi Hendrix, Black Sabbath, Johnny Cash, The Grateful Dead, The Clash, and Van Morrison combined. None of them ever had a hot number one? A number one on the Hot 100? Any of these I could be like Bruce Springsteen? No way! Any single one of those. Except for maybe Kiss. <laughs> I don't know, Kiss aren't... Uh, 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 enough, Whistle. You already get enough hate for your musical tastes and everything you've said about Pink Floyd, which I stand by. Garbage. Um, this has been an episode of Decoding the Unknown. Now you're probably smashing that dislike button. Nope, it doesn't work anymore, does it? It doesn't even count the dislikes. Sad times. If you enjoyed this episode, please do give it a like, subscribe. That's, of course, if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening as a podcast, please do give us a rating or a review. It would be greatly appreciated. And I'll see you next time. Secure. 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.